I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life admin. Yep, it even sounds boring. No wonder it goes in the long finger. But when you do get round to it, a good place to start is by reviewing your mortgage. You really never know if there's a better option unless you look into it. That's where the Ulster Bank Mortgage Team could help. Wherever you bank, get in touch and find out about switching your mortgage to us. Just search Ulster Bank Switch. Ulster Bank. Help for what matters. Over 18s only. Ulster Bank Ireland DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Hello! Listen, you smell something? Put that cookie down! Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm John Star. We're filmmakers, we're fans, and we can forget about letting people take the run of the shit <laughs> while I'm away. No, it was a good episode. It was a, well, I haven't no, listened to the next episodes. one. there's two episodes. The next one is Josh's fault, so... Oh, really? Oh, okay, okay. I figured you were, like, behind yeah, the regular... No, but it was interesting to listen to. I was kind of... Uh, I got a bit... Uh, a bit of a Cinnaboner hearing a comparison of my movie to Robert Altman's Nashville. And it was great because I didn't, I never brought up Robert Altman as a, as a thing. And I just met referenced it in the previous episode. So it was kind of really <laughs> <coughs> serendipitous. And I was, I was, I was, I was, I was happy. I, I do agree that I'm really happy that the one complaint that the guest had was like that sequence. that's too long. Cause I believe even in the commentary, I say, I think it goes yeah. on too long <laughs> and it's about double the length it should be. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm like really happy. I'm like that. I, I can. I know I've identified the thing mm-hmm. wrong with it. I actually heard a thing on a podcast where it's if you know things that are wrong, with, like if you know your work's not up to scratch, you have to be somewhat capable because otherwise you wouldn't know what's wrong with your yeah, work. Absolutely. And I was like, oh, okay. The first step is admitting you've got a problem. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Josh is away this week. He was murdered on the way to the podcast. He was murdered on the way to the podcast. So uh, that's not canon. He's starting up a true crime podcast. <laughs> Looking at his murder, it, yep. as it goes on, we're doing a whole investigative thing um, and we'll pair it with a crossover with Murder in the Land of Oz, mm-hmm. now available on that's not canonproductions.com. They run a um, uh, true crime podcast, so if you want to listen to that, give that a listen. Specifically Australian true crime, uh, such as Josh's death. Such as Josh's death. Murder. Um, (laughs) Yes. It's definitely a murder, and we definitely didn't do it. Um, Well, now they're going to be suspicious. Now they're going to be suspicious. No, but because they'll be suspicious, but then they'll say, oh, well, no one would want you to be suspicious so they wouldn't say that. They try not ah. to make you suspicious. It's like a double game. It's like they know that you know that they know, so then it of won't Of course. Happen. Yeah, that makes um, sense. We're talking about modern horror this week, speaking of murder. Modern horror this week. We talked, um, we did, we touched on it in like the It trilogy, but we were definitely going to mine it for more material because the horror is such The a, horror genre is just massive. It's so massive. Um, so many sub-genres. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as always, we talk, we start by asking, we talk by asking, we start by asking, uh, what have you been watching? And 
Yeah, Shane, what have you been watching? Ah, nice segue. We totally went gesturing to each other there. Yeah. What have I been watching? I've watched a shit ton because I had two weeks off. So uh, we'll start with, I saw a movie on Netflix, a Netflix original movie called Alex Strangelove. Yes. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, uh, it's basically like budget love, Simon. That was exactly what I thought when I saw the trailer. It's a little more, I think they've tried to go for a little more stylized. They've got like weird animated things that come into it and some whip camera. They've tried to do some clever camera things. I think they're very limited by budget. Um, but it's an interesting, I mean, it's not. Can I ask, if I haven't seen Love, Simon yet? And I watch this first. Will I like it more, or should I watch Love Simon first? You probably like it more, and then you watch Love Simon. And you go, "Oh, this is even better." I don't okay, know. Cool. It's Love Simon's less obviously stylized. I yeah. think it has a clearer visual language to it, though. Whereas Alex Strangelove is trying a lot of things, which is admirable, but it doesn't quite nail one thing specifically. I yeah. think it has a really interesting lead performance, and cool. they touch on like the coming out thing differently than Love Simon. The oh, character is in a very solid place of denial, which you've seen in some things, but it's not done with this kind of lighthearted touch. Yeah. Uh, The dialogue's really great. The lead performance is really great. And the performance of the love interest is, I think, even better. A lot of people give the main guy kudos, but the the love interest is actually really, really nice and subtle. Um, It's good. It's fun. Like, I I, I laughed. I found some things relatable. There were some cool things. It's not... uh, It's not as... There's not as much clarity as I would have liked, but budget limitations and apparently that script's been knocking around for like seven not to nine years or something like that before they finally is, got is it the sequel to stanley kubrick's dr strange love yes oh okay yes. cool so i should watch that first so uh, i really get an understanding of this yeah, world yeah Brilliant. um so i watched that i rewatched jurassic park in the lead up to jurassic world which i'll talk about next week <laughs> um jurassic park is an utter classic although the visual effects kind of dated a little bit. What? I was watching it on Blu-ray. Whoa, 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 really? And I started to notice some things with the Brachiosaur at the beginning. I yeah. started to pick up on some things, but what's clever and the genius of that movie is that there's so much live action stuff there. There's only like what, a total of like seven minutes of digital dinosaurs yeah. in total. So like when the T-Rex comes in, that giant head, that's an animatronic. Yeah. And it's only really like when it first sort of screams in the thing or when it's chasing the car. They're the only two real CGI moments. And that's what sells it more than anything else mm. is that there's so little CGI that the CGI that's there, you you convince that maybe some other, some rest of it was CGI. But that movie, this, the visual storytelling of the movie, and I really picked up on the whole paternal storyline. It's about a guy. Yeah admitting like learning to try and be a better be a person who wants to be a father is very much steven spielberg uh <laughs> steven spielberg is like the absent father and he, yeah. he's doing that at this the same was, time he did schindler's list oh, okay. and so he was maturing this is his maturing as a yeah. filmmaker so it's kind of that it's jurassic park is a really great bridge between serious spielberg and childish spielberg i say childish in the best possible way yeah of course um i mean that's an absolute absolute classic movie um, and then you talked about this last week, but I'll talk about it now. So Incredibles 1 and 2, back yep. to back. So much fun. Uh, Incredibles 2 is, I don't think it's as strong thematically, but the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of pulling little things. It's just very subtle and it's very it's very much a superhero movie and it kind of leans yep. into those tropes a bit more than, number one, comments on the genre. Mm. And it's weird because number one came out almost before the genre was as ubiquitous <laughs> yeah, as it exactly. was today. But number two is, I think, a lot better and visually a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. I've actually heard a lot of a flack for the second one in the sense that because the first one was so self-aware and so meta with the superhero genre and now the superhero genre is so prevalent, 
it's kind of underwhelming that Incredibles 2 is more of a superhero I think, film. I think, though, it's comment- like the fact that Elastigirl takes center stage, I think, yep. is something that a lot of people people are commenting on it, but they're saying, oh, yeah, it's a superhero movie with a female lead, Marvel, you know, pick up the game. <laughs> but the same token, I think they're doing a lot more commenting in that yep. than I think people realize. It's just very subtle, although I realize, like, I think I pointed this. Did I point this out to you? Like the villain, her name is uh, Evelyn Dever. It's Evil Endeavor. Like yeah. that's how on the nose. <laughs> that's how on the nose the movie actually is. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think, love a good pun name. Pun names. Are, I think ooh. it'll. I think I need to watch it again. Probably not on the cinemas, but I think it says a lot more. I just think it's a lot more subtle about it, and yeah. also because superhero is so common, we're being distracted by the superheroiness of it. Um, you know, the screen slaver, I think is a, is a really great villain too. Yeah. Very, very on point. <coughs> but, um, and so, uh, next thing I'm watching is Sensate. I. You watch the uh, finale or are you rewatching no, the No, no, no. So I, back when it first came out, I watched season one, loved it. And there was this huge break between season one and two. And I watched the Christmas special, but there was so much I forgot what happened. And then I started watching season two. And then it got cancelled, so I got really sad and stopped watching. Then they renewed it, and then I was going to wait until the finale came out because it was, again, it was like a year and a half or so until that actually happened. So I've then just gone back, and I'm watching it from beginning, and I'm nearly finished season one. Love it, love it, love it. I think the editing on that show is phenomenal because there's so much. It looks very freewheeling, and there's a lot of multiple camera angles, and we've kind of edited it later, but there's a lot of decisions that they would have had to have pre-planned like from the get-go because there's a lot of match cuts, a lot of cross-cutting between countries where the story is basically playing out in two countries at once and they filmed it in two countries. So okay, it's yeah. really, really... Oh, that, that's deep. why it's so, so, so high budget, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like 9 million an episode as opposed to like two to three like for Daredevil. Um, I love it and I can't wait to sort of finish it. It'll be sad, but I love the characters in that show. I love the characters in that show. Um, next up, I watched for the first time, because um, I watched, I'll, I'll talk about it in a bit, I watched Hereditary and then I was on like a Tony Collette role and so I watched... The first time, Muriel's Wedding. Which I think is a great double feature. <laughs> it is fucking amazing. I It blew my mind. I guess I put it off because I have such a thing against Australian film, but let me put it this way. Muriel's Wedding is so good that if you pitched it to Screen Australia now, they'd kick you out of the building. <laughs> That's how good Muriel's <laughs> Wedding actually is. Um, man, PJ Hogan loves his split diopter shots. Oh, cool. Holy crap. There's like split diopters all through I that. have not seen this movie since I was like, what, 12 or 13? Yeah. So I think I really should give it another watch, especially since it's on Netflix. Uh, yes. Or Stan. Yeah, it's okay, on Netflix. Netflix. I watch it on Netflix. Um, he, I watched, I love My Best Friend's Wedding, which he did yeah. post Muriel's Wedding. And he uses split diopters there. And I thought that's really interesting for a romantic comedy. And then I go back and watch Muriel's Wedding. I was like, oh, no, this is a thing that he does <laughs> all the time. I think Tony Collette's lead performance is incredible. Uh, it's so funny. And what's interesting is it deals with suicide in an, in an atypical Australian way. And I think yeah. if they made it today, Muriel would be raped, she'd get an abortion, and the suicide would happen on screen. I so this genuinely is, This is the modern-day remake of Muriel's Wedding. Yeah, and it would be – they're like, why is it comedy? Like, why is there a joke here? We need <laughs> less jokes. Uh, that movie is amazing. It's possibly tied with Predestination as my favourite Australian film oh, of wow. all time. I genuinely give that like up there almost full stars it's so wait 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 so have you good. seen priscilla queen of the desert no that's next i've watched bits and pieces that's next on my list of watching australian hits because i figure that's another one like i figure mad max one which i haven't seen yet um, <sighs> i figure mad max one priscilla and Mira's wedding and movies all that are so good that you could never get them made today in australia yeah um 
but I, I, I adore Muriel's wedding. It's such a good, such a colorful, such a visually brilliant movie. And just everything about it is good. The ABBA thing is so good. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. That she pulled that performance out of being like 19, whatever the hell she was. It's so good. It's so, so good. Um, and then we'll talk about Hereditary. Oh, that'll be geez. a great, great segue. I watched it the first time and like Josh yeah. um, two weeks ago. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if you, you had spoken about it on the podcast yet. So I was like, should no. I bring it up? Because um, we saw it together. Yeah, we saw it together. I saw you it the saw first it a time. Second I saw it time. a second time with you. The first time I saw it, I would like Josh in a cinema alone. <laughs> I saw it with my mum. My mum had to walk out. She got really freaked out by it. Um, and... Oh, I can totally see why now. Yep. Okay. Well, during the seance scene, she doesn't do well yeah. with seance stuff. And I was kind of like living for it. And I love the sound design. <laughs> so The sound design is so much more effective. That than sound design is, is, oh man, that, that's the thing. With horror, sound design is key. And, and it's usually a thing that people don't notice. But when you do start taking notice of it, it's something that just brings the whole film together. And fucking hereditary. Mm. Jesus, the sound design in that is flawless. Um, it's, and oh. it's, it is. And I think it's even more watching it a second time. I was picking up on so many little things that they were doing that was just mm. brilliant. Um, visually, that movie is it's Every a film shot is there. It's something I always bring up how I watch shitty films so I can not analyze. But this is a movie that I feel like it is so good that I can enjoy it. But at the same time, I can't not analyze it. Everything think- that's going in frame is just so perfectly chosen and Every decision is purposeful. It's, it's, ah. Oh. I think to me, like, I mean, that might be a whole podcast episode talking about how to watch movies. Cause a lot of people say, oh, doesn't that ruin movies? And it's like, no, no, no. Because when you see a good one and when you see like a phenomenal one, you yeah. almost forget yeah, that ab- you make films. Absolutely. Um, and to me, it's not like, it's not, oh, you're seeing behind the curtain and it's just a frumpy old man who's pretending to be a wizard. You're seeing mm. behind the curtain, you're seeing this wonderful, like, clock with precision clockwork yeah. that most audiences aren't privy to i it's like magic tricks like when you see a really good magic trick and it makes you go how the fuck like if you know Matt, like i'm mm. full confession a bit of a card magic <laughs> nerd and a lot of people say, once you know about like 20 percent of moves you can yeah. kind of guess 100 percent of magic tricks and so when you see it done really well yes you know how it's done but you're like god that was good it's like, like you have a, tell us such a great show <laughs> you have a really great understanding of just how much work went into it. You're not, yeah. you're not seeing the, the surface level stuff and you can enjoy it at the surface level. I think I enjoy stuff more when I can see the, the work that went into it, especially mm. when you understand how hard it is to get a camera to do that move, how yeah. much work and time went into just making that one moment. See, for me, it, it's, it sometimes ruins it depending on the film. Hereditary, Hereditary is like raw in the sense that I was analyzing it and it just made me love it more, whereas something like Alien Covenant, because... It is technically should be good and I can see all the good things working and because it's not working, but I can see how it would work. It makes me hate it even more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's, uh, but hereditary is, I think it's my second viewing confirmed as my favorite movie of the year to date. Awesome. Um, up there with love Simon in a quiet place. I think it's better because great. So much more of it is, um, uh, intricate. I think more than love Simon and, a Quiet Place, I love A Quiet Place, I adore A Quiet Place, but the first 20 minutes don't quite, there's a little bit of unsureness about the yeah. camera work. It's an excellent movie and you need to see it. I will but, get around to um, it. Uh, I think 
hereditary from the get-go, from that opening shot. You yep. you would know you're in the filmmaker's hands who knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's it's not Ari, it's Ari Aster. That's because you, you guys were trying to pronounce it on the podcast. It's Ari Aster, which is a bit weird. He, um, and he's made, in like, my defense, it was Josh trying to pronounce it. Um, he but made, I would have missed the guys made like it. A, the guys famous made these really controversial short films. He made one called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, and it's about a family where the son is raping the father. It's like a really and it's like a black family, and it's just it, it made waves at festivals because everyone's like, "What the fuck is going?" Or like they're uncomfortable as hell. And that's what's great about I think Hereditary. It just it, the tonal control on that movie is exquisite, and I think it's so much better than even people who like it give it credit for. Yeah. Um, but so, so horror, so good segue into that. Um, cause horror, someone didn't ask me what I've been oh, watching. No, ha, suck it. No, cause I'm normally the last one to go. What have you been watching? Chancellor? Good question. Well, you know, I knew the topic was coming up for horror films. So I decided to watch Har- when Harry met Sally for the first time. Wait, you haven't seen that. Okay. No, you no. cannot okay. give me crap okay. for not seeing things because when Harry Met Sally is a fucking classic. I, I believe I did. I, I've watched it when I was younger. I didn't remember it. I've tried to watch it with my wife recently and she, she just got distracted and didn't want to watch it. And we watched it just two days ago and holy shit. It's so it's good. So good. I, I, it's because it's I'm such like a fan of the romantic comedy genre and seeing this film, which kind of as i understand is like the one that really made the genre a thing but it's so much it's elevated yeah. a bunch and you, that's why you need to see my best friend's wedding my best friend's yeah. wedding and when harry met sally are both for me peak rom-com mm. peak rom-com uh, I, I will say uh about halfway through the movie i really started getting worried i'm like oh no are they are they not gonna get together no no, but no, oh, it, it was a really satisfying movie. I love that it's such a thorough exploration of a single question. It's can yeah. women and men, heterosexual women and men, be friends without sex getting in the way? Yeah. I love that it's an exploration of that. I think the performance is great. The writing is really great. Nora Ephron, uh, what's his name? Stand by me director, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Yeah, Rob Thank Reiner. That's Rob Reiner, I mean, that's one of his best up there with, uh, uh, the Stand Princess Bride, <laughs> um, yeah, so good, it's endlessly quotable, and the stuff, even though it's so known and it's so yeah. part of the zeitgeist, it still plays strong. Oh, absolutely! So I would like to partake of your pecan <laughs> I, I just, I love it. It's now so I good. finally get that reference. Um, but yeah, and then I uh, followed that up with watching *Romancing the Stone*. Uh, yes. Just because I realized I it was Robert Zemeckis, and I was like, "Well, now I've got to watch it and analyze Wait, it." How did you not realize that was my first? Other than Back to the Future, that was my first Robert Zemeckis. I loved that movie before I loved film, so I never really <laughs> took note of it. It was just part of my life. Uh, and, and, yeah, I forgot I was reading up on Robert Zemeckis after the director's episode, El and I was Corazon. like, oh, fuck, he made Romancing the Stone? Now I've got to watch it again. And uh, I, I, met, I messaged Zane right after watching it because one huge thing was ruined for me. You know our Waluigi Wario movie? Yeah, yeah, it happened in... It in, happens in Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Uh, Danny DeVito and his cousin character. They are Wario and Waluigi in that movie. <laughs> ah, really upsetting. So, yeah, uh, I love the end shot of that movie. It's such a classic lore and yet such a riff on the classic. Like the yep. boat going down Manhattan is like... <laughs> I need to rewatch that and I need to watch Duel of the Nile. Yes. Uh, and I, I watched it right after watching oh, really? it. really? Um, and does it make well. you like it less? 
It did. <laughs> I still genuinely like the film, okay. but it on a, a creative level, it is not nearly as good as the first one. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of story elements I like. It's Kathleen Turner in the lead, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love Kathleen Turner. Oh, Kathleen, yeah, Kathleen Turner. Turner in A Simple Wish. Yeah. Have you seen A Simple Wish? No. Are you kidding me? So this was like the follow-up to the girl from Matilda, and yeah. she did this follow-up where she's like, she gets a fairy godmother. Fairy godmother is played by Martin Short. <laughs> oh, okay. Now it's ringing a bell. Yeah. And, um, and Kathleen Turner's the evil witch, and it is a classic. It is a '90s classic. I feel gift. like I have watched it when I was younger because the the Martin Short is a fairy godmother. It's NAFTA, it- the National American Fairy Godmothers Association. <laughs> like, no, do you? Oh. And she makes a simple wish and like dad turns into a statue and so she has to undo it in time and the wand gets broken and there's this sh- 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 boom. Do you not Oh my I god, do- you next time you're over at my house, we are watching this movie. I am totally okay with that. I quote Martin Short is endlessly quotable in that movie. Um and then finally, uh I watched Hereditary with you. Now we can get on with the subject with an excellent yes. segue. So horror, so cycles of horror. So cause horror is one of those genres, it's been there almost since the beginning of cinema. It yeah. really has because it's dealing with a fantastic, it's dealing with fear, which is such a primal emotion. Um, and a lot of people have kind of uh, realized that it kind of runs in cycles. Did you have anything on this talking point or do you want me to just? Uh, you 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 go ahead. Okay. So, so it runs in cycles and there's a lot of actual academic essays and things about mm. the cycles of horror. Um, and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about the history, the cycles of horror and then what cycle we're in now. So it pretty much, the monster movie was kind of the first one. It was the Draculas, the Frankensteins, yeah. the... Um, Wolfman, all that kind of stuff, from pretty much the nineteen, the late nineteen tens through to the nineteen thirties. Would 30s, you 40s. consider German expressionism part of that, or before that, like a precursor to horror? Because, well, I mean, Nosferatu. Yeah, Nosferatu is exactly uh, the what Cabinet I'm thinking of. Doctor Caligari. Yep. Uh, kind of. Because a lot of that horror from the Universal. Uh, well, Universal was ones, peak. Universal was yeah. kind of like the. There's usually like these cycles. They have all these different things, and then there's one in which everything is hinging on, and the Universal Monster movies were the ones in which everything around yep. that era hinged on and riffed on. German expression was a little different. Mm. Um, but it kind of moved. It was kind of like that for a good 20, 30 years, other than like mainstream horror, mainstream movies that weren't horror. Yep. Um, in the 50s and the 60s, it shifted, and it became sort of the Red Terror movies, the science, yes. like, you know, the – the nuclear, there was all, all the Cold War. It, it, horror is such a heavily influenced by the political goings on at the time. World War One being the first yep. phrase. It's specifically why the German expressionism stuff was like the way it was. It was these Germans being sort of traumatized by the things that went on. And then there was the 50s and 60s, the Red Terror, yep. the nuclear, the sci-fi. Everyone was scared of science was breaking out. This is one of the things why I think uh, the invasion of the body snatchers I'm going to say series of remakes is so interesting to watch because each one of those is made in a time. It's like each one of those invasion of the body snatcher movies is made in a different cycle. So even though it's technically the same script, it's it, well, the same story, it's been inspired by what's happening at that time. The, the greatest uh, example is the invasion of the body snatchers with um, Leonard Nimoy in that, which is the best one. That's the dog face thing. Isn't yes. It? <laughs> uh, and the, um, the follow-up, the body snatchers, which is like on a military base. And it was made in the eighties, very different movies, but with these same things, it's very, and then of course the invasion Asian. with Daniel Craig and Nicole, <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Kidman. Um, so, but what these were, these ones were about, about our internalized, so you see monster movies were about external yeah. uh, fears. Whereas the 
the the fifties and sixties were about our internal fears made external. They were anthropomorphized into, mm. you know, the day the earth stood still. The attack of the fifty foot women was men yep. being shit scared of women becoming more powerful than women them. are scary. Uh, they are very scary. That's why I date men. Um, <laughs> It was a choice. Yes. Is, didn't uh, you hear? Isn't that what everyone says? Oh, right. Um, well, now it's been legalized, the yeah, marriage. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's yeah. deciding. Yep. And when we're going to run out of babies because apparently if all the boys get with all the boys and all the girls get with all the girls, we're never going to have babies. Well, that's like environmentally yeah. a good thing. <laughs> I know, right? Um, Gays but, are uh, saving the world. What happened in the late 60s is it was the very start and it didn't kind of become a big thing until the 70s, but the slasher kind of started yeah. with, have you heard of a movie called Peeping Tom? Yeah. Michael Powell, they made us watch this in, in uni and I didn't appreciate it at the time. I've kind of come to appreciate it. He's Powell as in Powell and Pressburger who did The Red Shoes, who did Black yeah. Narcissus. And he went off on his own and he did this movie Peeping Tom about a guy with a camera and he like, stalks women and kills them with like the pointy end of a tripod stick. Tripods um, are scary. And he got like eviscerated and shut down by critics who said this was cheap. It was nasty. It was totally, he got basically, that was like the last kind of film he did. And he got shut out from filmmaking because this was seen as such a trashy movie. And it's now considered an unbelievable <laughs> classic. Um, and it, I believe uh, uh, Peeping Tom was before Psycho. Yeah, I was just about to on say the same time as Psycho, Psycho is the one I Psycho always hear about. Psycho codified it. Psycho codified most of the horror language post it's being made. Yeah. Of course, Hitchcock is going to fucking do that. Hitchcock did that with everything pretty <laughs> much. Uh, he did it with action. He did action. All the action adventure stuff we watch now is being codified. He's kind of yeah. like Hitchcock was like the bark of films. Bark <laughs> codified music, yeah. even though it was being made before Bark. Bark codified all of the kind of language that we then use and have riffed on, Hitchcock kind of did that for cinema. Um, uh, and we also had the very precursor, Night of the Living Dead in 1968, yep. which I still haven't seen, but I've got, it's on SBS On Demand. I, okay. I want a high def version because it went public domain. There's just a bunch of shitty copies. I want as nice a pristine version because I don't want it to be ruined by, oh, that's bad, um, in yeah, And so we got to the 70s and Italy grabbed onto the Jello film. Yes, of course. Uh, which is the word for yellow. And that's like your Mario Bava's. That's your um, uh, Suspiria. Yeah, I was going to say Suspiria is the one. one. It's not even really a Jello film though. That's Isn't what's interesting. It? Not quite. Because the Giallos are very specific. It's women being hunted by a serial killer. And uh, Dario Argento did a movie called The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which was mm. the big his first big hit. And then he did um, a Profondo Rosso or Deep Red, which I haven't seen. Um, uh, they did a big screening of all these films at, at Goma and I saw I saw, saw, Suspiria, I saw the 4K you? restoration of Suspiria. Yeah. It's the second time seeing it. I saw it in a really shitty 35 mil print. I still don't – I feel like I need to appreciate that movie more because there's a lot to love in it, but there's just so much in it that I'm like – I this short, people surely aren't watching this and saying this is a masterpiece. <laughs> the moment I don't – I feel like I need to watch it maybe with people or something. Maybe you should watch it with me or something yeah. like that. Because it's a lot, the color, the use of color in that movie is astounding. The first murder that happens in sort of essentially the prologue, stunning. But there's just a lot that is like, what the fuck is this? But it was hugely influential. And then the slasher kind of took hold, 70s Halloween. Yeah. It's sort of the big one. It was an independent produced movie. And for a long time, it was the most successful movie, financially speaking. Um, on the On the more prestige studio side, we had the cycle of evil children. Which was of Children of the, the Corn, Exorcist, Exorcist the Omen. Omen. And this is in the 60s where yep. the youth and the whole peace movement and so people were very scared of youths. Uh, like the, the people with money were scared of 
the kids. So yeah. You had The Exorcist. You had um, The Omen. You had which you Alice. haven't seen. I haven't seen. Uh, you have Alice Sweet Alice, um, which is a it's a girl who walks around with a mask, just murders people. It's a terrifying mask. Um, and then the next cycle was sort of the 80s where the block, but I mean, Jaws came in and made the blockbuster. I think Jaws is like 1970, six, 77. Yeah. I'm not 100% certain on the date, but that sort of, then led to the blockbuster horror movie and you had sort of the, the poltergeists of yeah. the world. Um, in the independent world, you had like the Freddy Kruegers. You had sort of these more – there's a lot of camp, a lot of, a lot camp, of camp in camp. the 80s, yeah. a significant amount of camp in the 80s. Um, in the 90s, horror kind of died. We There was a big saturation of it because of the video market, big saturation of horror. So the horror kind of died with the exception of something like um, a few ghost movies were very big, The Sixth Sense, yeah. The Others – the Blair Witch Project, which isn't exactly a ghost movie, but it is a ghost movie. And the Blair Witch Project had this delayed reaction to <laughs> kick like, in. Like 15 years before it. Because it was so ahead of its time in terms of the marketing. It was viral mm. marketing before viral marketing was a word that anyone used. They used the internet um, and all that kind of stuff. And on Scream was obviously a big one. But it, yeah. Scream kind of led to this satire parody of horror movies. We were so saturated with horror, we needed to comment on that. Which is interesting because it's Wes Craven who pretty much created that 80s camp style with things like Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> coming back and going, hey, look how silly it is. Yeah, because I think he got really sick of it. Oh, he did. Um, <laughs> and then what happened is that kind of died down because we got to a scary movie three or four. Yeah. And everyone's like, done. I'm done with this sort of stuff. And so there's a movie, I haven't watched this yet, but Guillermo del Toro has tweeted about it. And so it's on my pile as being sort of the first one that bucked the trend back into real horror, horror. real, sorry, real and serious horror. It's called a movie called session nine, which I haven't watched yet, but I believe it's on Netflix, Netflix or Stan or SBS on demand, something like that. When um, it comes to horror, there are but three became, options. But then we went into the cycle of the J horror in the 2000s. Yeah. We had oh, I remember the, the J horror. We had the grudge. We had, it was just Japanese horror being completely adapted by American audiences. I think The Ring is a really good movie. The Ring works. Love it. It's Gore Verbinski though. He's yeah. such a visual director, um, and I think it's. I think The Ring is a little scarier than Ringu. Apparently, mm. Juon is scarier than The Grudge. I've well, only seen well, The Grudge. The Grudge is Juon three. Uh, the The Grudge isn't based on the first two movies. Oh, right. I've seen The Grudge and The Grudge two, and I. I liked some things, but I wasn't really into it. I, liked- I was never scared of them. I was yeah. scared of the ring. Yeah, and that was. Okay, when, I was never scared. Of the when, ring. when did that it come took out? Me, I had to watch it later because I got into horror really late, but then hit it hard because I love it. It's a, to me, I think it's a really cinematic genre. Yeah, it's the one where it's the most where you can do the most, and the, the the suspension of disbelief for how much you're doing visually is really wide. You have this really wide window, but. Um, the and then the the Gorno or the the torture porn with Saw yep. triggered Saw in two thousand and four triggered the torture porn for the late half of the two thousands Hostel every ripoff of Hostel <laughs> um, and then the found footage resurgence which happened late two thousands and then kicked in in the early twenty tens um, with uh, paranormal, paranormal activity. activity. Was the big one, which I believe was two thousand and six or two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight nine, nine, eight, nine somewhere around the very late two thousands. Um, I I didn't get into them until late because mm. we had a very it was just basically found footage horror. Apparently, there was a time when studios would only do horror. They wanted to do like a found footage version of Friday the Thirteenth. They were only oh. doing horror if it was found footage because that was super cheap, huge bucks. Um, and then in the twenty tens, which is sort of what we're going is this kind of throwback it's kind of split we split yeah. between and i don't want to use these terms derogative really highbrow and lowbrow horror 
but this sort of like the 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 um this sort of like a grandiose horror and then there's this sort of grounded horror um for example and they're referencing all kinds of genres so for me the grandiose is like the conjuring yeah movies where there's a lot of throwback to these 70 styles um and structurally they kind of and we'll talk about them in a bit, but um, Blumhouse sort of categorizes the other version of it. Uh, yeah. Or, or, or some of it. Blumhouse is very, he makes very, um, not, I admire what he, the stuff he does, even the movies I don't like more because they fit a very specific, they know their audience, they fit it, the, the truth or dares of the world <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Um, uh, and then you have like the indie horror scene, which is getting really good deep and really good a24 is sort of peak that a24 release a horror movie just about every year and they do it to i think their plans they do it to make money to make their other weirder movies yeah um i think of those indie horrors the only <laughs> one i haven't liked so far was it comes at night yep which you know uh, well, oh, actually i wrote it down here a, a, a better term to use is this divide between the entertaining horror and the confronting horror okay yeah there's horrors that are more confronting that make people uncomfortable and there's the ones that people are comfortable with they still get scared they jump and all that but they're comfortable with that form so that's like the so the comfortable one is stuff like uh truth, truth or dare, or dare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the slender man movie even that's coming i put the conjuring as a horror that people are comfortable with but it's i think it's a, a better produced better yeah. written kind of thing because it has more but it's 30 million as opposed to two um so what does a modern horror film look like well like you said you've got those two very different styles that are going at the moment you, mm. you have things like hereditary which uses the way the way the, it uses in, the color um and muted color yeah um, and, yeah. and then you've got things like uh, truth or dare or stuff like that which uses there's a lot of well, as i was gonna say with the indie ones there's a lot of cinematic craft yeah whereas um i think the 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 blumhouse kind of things focus on a, a narrative mm. thing so if I've, I've kind of got here like the blumhouse one there's a very clear hook for yeah. example happy death day she dies it's groundhog day but she's being murdered and she has yeah. to solve her murder before it happens um what's that stupid fucking uh <laughs> unfriended yeah. Where it's all a Skype call. It's all a Skype call or even um, uh, 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 Truth or Dare. It's the Truth yeah. or Dare game and it's Haunted. The yeah. Haunted game of Truth or Dare. Um, there's lots of showmanship. They're big on the jump scares. There's a prototypical in the structure of the movie. There's a teaser and an epilogue yeah. to it. And then, But what's interesting and why I appreciate Blumhouse as a thing is because he'll make those and then he can come out with something like Get Out. Mm. Which almost uses that form and then really subverts it. It's it's very confronting from a narrative point of view, but it fits that box of the entertaining horror. And you know, Get Out has the uh, prologue. It, has, it doesn't quite have an epilogue. Yeah. It has the prologue, and it has sort of the mystery. It has a clear kind of a hook. It's just dealing with something a little more confronting than what we're used to. Then, no, it's a ghost. It's a monster. It's a thing. Um, the indie horror ambiguity is a huge part of it. I think for Hereditary, I don't know if you were getting this, but it could all be in Tony Collette's head. I really was worried that it was going to be until the third act happened, and which is why the third act was so satisfying to me because, like, I was like, "Oh no, it's all going to be in Tony Collette's head, isn't it?" The moment uh, I don't feel no, but you can spoil, even, but you can even buy when she a- burns the book. That was when I was like, "Oh no, it's all in her head, isn't it?" And then the sun woke up and I was like, oh, no, no, it's gone crazy cool. Yeah, but you could also determine that as being 
like a fever dream hallucination kind of thing. It's the kind of horror I'm working on at the moment. Yeah. Um, it's like, and it's drawing from, and I hate just putting this out there, Roman Polanski is a fuckwit. Yeah. Um, rapist dickhead. But they're pulling from Rosemary's Baby, which is very influential. Mm. I saw it not that long ago. And it's Rosemary's, that would have been a great double feature watching Rosemary's yeah, Baby in that. Um, and uh, Rosemary's Baby plays as if none of the supernatural stuff is real, and it plays as if all of it's real yeah. at the same time. And I think Hereditary works. A lot of people don't like the third act of Hereditary. It's kind of had this bad react. It's got a D on Cinema Score, which is like audience rated. Audiences are rating it really bad. They're hating it. I, I I lament this fact. I get that they want a cleaner movie. Why like why can't you have both? Why can't you enjoy The Conjuring and enjoy Hereditary at the same time? The Witch is the same. Witch is a hundred percent the same thing. Audiences, yeah. I saw it in an audience, and the thing finished, and the people were like, people behind me, were like, what the fuck was that? I was enraptured by this phenomenal ending shot of the witch. Yeah. Oh, I the, love the ending. I, mean, I would every say shot is, in the witch yeah. could be a painting. Whereas I think Hereditary is not. I think that's where the focus of the witch was on. Moon tone that series hereditary had a bit more of a plot yeah. thematic thing going, um, but the the witch even still works as oh, ambiguity. Ambiguity is such a huge thing, and it almost doubles as another genre. The the witch is a period um, thriller, almost period family drama, mm. Hered- and it was mostly drama. Hereditary is a family drama dealing yeah. with grief, dealing with loss, dealing with complications. Um, and and then the studio horrors you have the huge production values, um, big names usually you've got some mm. well known actors whereas these other horrors don't always the witch is the, sorry the hereditary is a bit of an exception, um, and a lot of the studio ones have happy endings with like an ending gag so um, the Conjuring has a happy ending but then there's like the the nun appears as like a final jump scare which is a very prototypical thing that these indie horrors don't do yeah. Um, so how does this current horror compare to older generations? It's hard to compare them. I feel like even though it is the same genre, I feel like it's apples to oranges because because every wave of genre, of horror films has set up its own thing. Um, Halloween, Halloween, for example, I would say is one of the most flawless horror films ever. And then you have the remake of Halloween. Which was Which what two thousand and the, the the Rob Zombie one the Rob Zombie one no the next one's a sequel even though it has the oh, same right. name and Halloween H two O and the thing. whatever it they, they're sequels as well um but yeah the fact that these those two films are technically the same story but they are movies of their time yeah. have you seen the Rob Zombie one yet I have not I've only I've only seen the original one and can I be a hundred percent honest the first time I watched it, I was like that's it. Like that's what all the hype is about. Get the fuck out! No, that's okay. I do. Need, I think I need to watch it with an audience, and that's what we're going to do. Mm. We're going to do coming down the track in Halloween. We're going to marathon all the Halloweens, then watch oh, the brilliant. new one, oh, and cool. do a whole episode, about, like alert. like the Marvel episode, but just on a single franchise. Okay, be very interesting. Oh, and we're going to get Alex in because oh, brilliant! He'll be he loves really Halloween. Great. He'll yeah, be really great to talk about it. Um, I didn't like. I got. I think though, because Halloween was so influential, mm. I'm coming from that point where you're watching all the stuff that's riffed on it, absolutely, and then you're coming back to the source, and you're like, "Oh, well, I've seen all of this before because that movie exists." Yeah, so I think I need to rewatch it again. Like same with Suspiria, I appreciated Suspiria more the second time. Mm-hmm. First time I was kind of like, "What the fuck is going on?" Um, but I think now compared to older times, um, the genre lines are way more blurred now. Oh, they were absolutely, very, very clear, almost up until the nineties. I think that sixth sense is kind of, is it a drama? Is it a horror? It plays as yep. both. Um, 
that but, cross of genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more realism in terms of the ghost, the effects, um, the blood. Yeah. I mean, a, there's blood a great- is a- the, uh, the Evil Dead remake, uh, the way they used blood in that compared to the original, and that was a budgetary thing. That was, you know, yeah. very um, cheap But movie. even, like, just the colour of blood used to be very, mm. very red, especially in, like, the Jello films. Yeah. It's very uh, milky, not milky white, It's but it's very, it's not opaque. It's not, it doesn't look like blood, and that was part of the design. There's a really great video, um, a, a video, a channel on YouTube called Filmmaker IQ. I'll talk yeah. about it more next week because it's they have a whole video, but they do a video just on the history of movie blood. Oh, cool! And how like the Hammer Horror had a specific blood that yeah. influenced the Hammer Horror blood is the one I'm kind of talking about, where it's that very ri- uh, not rich, it's very mm. solid red. Yeah. Um. I, I. I. One thing, and this is weird thing to say, but uh, the thing I love about horror blood these days is the stickiness to it. It's like you can feel how sticky blood is yeah, yeah. on the screen, which um, I don't know how they've uh, uh, managed that. I, but. I struggle making blood for Red Curtain Hill. I really did. That's like a whole thing. Um, but I think they're also formally ambitious, as mm. in they're more experimental. They were quite experimental back in the day, but there was very clear narrative-driven, whereas Hereditary, by the end of it, is almost an experimental film. Yeah. Especially that end shot, which is technically like in the spoiler alert, in the cubby house, but it's all black around it, which it's not real. There's just a lot of stuff that doesn't quite compute, but it, it, it's more about mood and atmosphere. Um, and narratively ambitious. Things like mm. Get Out. Yeah, I think we were when we did political stuff in the '60s, the '70s, and the '80s. A lot of it is metaphor, whereas Get Out is like racism is the evil. It's yeah. very clear, and it's what I'm dealing with in my horror movie. And it's this sort of revelation that you can do it. You really need to watch Night of the Living Dead, man. Um, camp is also almost non-existent when in camp modern is stuff. There, I feel like sometimes it's a. It's very, it's very. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think uh, of the word uh, as well. Postmodern camp, yeah, something like drag me to hell. I was about to say Sam yeah. Raimi's stuff is very, very postmodern camp, mm. and he also codified a lot of the camp stuff in the '80s, anyway. So it's kind of this really cool thing. Um, but a really good way to see that is Suspiria, the original. To the re- I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the remake yeah. of Suspiria. You could not get more polyps. Suspiria one is so much camp, and then the remake looks like it's like dead straight horror movie so it'll be really really in- i'm actually i don't love luca guadagnino as a director after the things he pulled with call me by your name and then the news that broke out after but um not that he's like a rapist or anything it's just that things that i caught on to in call me i'm totally <laughs> tangent call me by your name all the romantic scenes the camera racks focus off them it pans away there's no sex there's no real nudity so maybe see like right. a flash of ass and it pulls away and i got really bugged by that i'm like i felt like they were holding back because the story felt like it was moving towards being very open about these things and yeah then luca guadagnino talked about it being a creative choice to not go that typical way yada yada and it sounded like bullshit to me after he won the oscar the writer said oh no there was sex and nudity in the whole movie and the actor's contract said no, so we basically pretended, like with Luca Guadagnino, and there were conversations about nudity and how they were going to film it, and Luca Guadagnino pretended it was a creative choice so as not to seem like a douchebag or try and, like, it's pretentiousness yeah. at its most literal. And I smelt that out while watching the movie and no one else seemed to. A couple of people did. There's some articles yeah. and stuff like that. But I would argue with people people get really angry at me saying, it's it's a real thing. And then I'm like, no, the writer of the movie came out and said there were conversations about this that then got undone because of contractual things, got nothing to do with a creative choice. 
And so that bugged me. As him as a director, why couldn't he just own up? He says, look, I wanted to, but we can't. So we're making deal with making it more romantic rather than sexual. That's, a, to me, a much more honest way of going about it. So I'm not sold on him as a director, but I think yeah. I saw the trailer and it looks interesting for Suspiria. I hate the font, the typeface they've picked for the titles. It just looks rubbish. But anyway, what are the strengths of modern horror and what are some examples? Well, I think the technology, honestly, uh, can like lead to a lot of – uh, great opportunities these days like um or he said the evil dead remake uh but then you have times where they they overdo it like in the thing prequel where yep the, yeah uh we all know how i feel about the practical versus visual effects in that sense um but then again uh oh i'm trying to think of one recently where uh, oh the omen's another time where it was just completely pointless um there in the was, remake yeah Oh, okay. You know the original is flawless. I have told you this and you need Tell to watch it. Tell me that, but it. isn't it just like nothing, like there's no plot to it? It's just bad, like like bad stuff just happens around the kid. And there's a guy trying to kill him. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, don't worry, people are trying was, to like, kill kids, it's like bad stuff happens fine. around the kid, the end. Yeah. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. And even though we're... Or, or, we're see, everyone, hypes it up. everyone hyped up The Exorcist and I think that ruined The Exorcist for me and so that's why I'm hesitant to watch yeah, The Yeah, the Omen shit. Don't even watch it. But you should come watch it sometime. <laughs> we should do a marathon. <laughs> we, should do, we should do a horror... We should do a horror month. We should oh. talk about The Omen one and then we do... We talk about horror franchises. We should do like Saw. We should do Omen and we should do End on Halloween. Okay, that's great. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do like... <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll do a couple of weeks. Okay, this will be good. This will be yeah, good. Good, good. October, this is, yes. This is setting up October. So we're, what, three months? So horror fans, two months. and if you love horror, send out and tell people that we're doing a big horror month <laughs> so so we get more subscribers and we can beat the other podcasts on this network because I want to beat all of the other podcasts on this network. That's all we're about. We're just all about beating 100%, people. 100%. Um, oh, wait, we're talking about strengths, right? Yeah, strengths yeah, of horror okay, and cool. examples. Um, uh, well, well the, um, the, the themes – now i think uh can be better see every single strength i feel like i can think of half a, a half a dozen films recently that don't do that yeah 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 i think there, there's richer and more complex storytelling even really great something great like texas chainsaw massacre yeah which for my money is my favorite horror movie of all time it's uh it's a very simple plot and there's a yep. lot you can draw from it but i think we like hereditary is very complex mm. very rich narrative and themes and i think we were bit too scared and even something as grand as the exorcist and as influential as the exorcist is quite simple very yeah. simple whereas we're much more open to this ambiguity which we didn't quite have um i think the sources of cinematic form we're pulling from a lot more outside genres yeah the drama to hereditary you know and that's enriching the visual language of horror which was very codified you know the mirror shot all that kind of yeah. stuff and now we're starting to pull from other places and it's it's letting it evolve, whereas a lot mm. of other genres don't. Like sci-fi is very hard for, to get it to evolve visually from 2001, and yeah. that's a great movie to pull from, but we need to start pulling from more places, otherwise the genre dies. And horror is now very open to pulling from those vi other visual languages. Um, in the Blumhouse case, what's mm. actually a really good strength of it, just from a business standpoint, is it's propping up the studios. It's a whole business unto itself, yeah. Um, and it can give breaks to unknown actors and unknown directors because it doesn't. It's a genre that doesn't require it. Whereas even in the past, like they wanted, you know, Ellen Burstyn, and you'd have like kids, but then they'd be locked in the poor, poor, yeah, Reagan. I can't remember the actress's name. That's how bad it is. Uh, she's locked into that the rest of her life. Whereas now it's giving people a jumping-off point more so than before. 
These are much better strengths than my strengths. I didn't even think of like. <laughs> yeah. Um. What are the weaknesses in the example of the uh, modern horror? The fact that there are so many strengths when you don't live up to those strengths. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stinkers. Yeah. And because there's more being made. There's a lot more crap being made. Mm. Um. Quite a few. However, I I accept the existence of the truth or dares because it means we get get out. Yeah. And get out is such an. I think Get Out is going to influence so much. It's already influenced me. Literally the horror script I'm writing was spurred on by seeing Get Out. Yeah. Um, and if we have to have Truth or Dare in order to get Get Out, that is a price I am more <laughs> than happy to pay because Truth or Dare makes some money. It makes it keeps people yeah. employed. It's like it's it's the, it's it's a job for people and it's great. Um, I think uh, some weaknesses. Have you got some weaknesses? Uh, the, the remake the remake problem, yep. which franchise I, heavy. Yeah. I, I think remakes can be great. Invasion of the body snatches is a great example of remakes being different. Then the invasion is an example of being, then the invasion. Yeah. Is an example of being shit. Um, uh, but yeah, well, even like a franchise heavy franchise problem. Cause I feel like horror franchises never become scary. They always mm. fall apart. Um, I think they can, it can often kill, like, if there's a really great first movie and then it can kill subsequent ones. Like, I really hope they don't do a sequel to Get Out. Get Out needs to stand on its own. I can't imagine how they'd do a sequel they to it. they do something but... else about, probably it was like a female in the lead and similar kind of thing. It'll be someone from the same. Oh, so they'll hostel it. Yeah, something like that. Um, I think another problem is the indie horrors can get, too cerebral yeah. and too all about the tone that they forget to tell a story like it, it comes, comes at tonight, night, yeah. which is all mood and tone and atmosphere without any substance to it. And then that kind of falls flat. I think it comes at night is what people are complaining about hereditary. Yeah. Hereditary is a much stronger movie. The witch is much stronger. I feel like movie. not enough people saw it comes at night for people to complain about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think this sort of the franchise, everything, and we did this in the eighties too. The franchise, leaning yeah. franchise, happened oh, absolutely. In the 80s. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is the perfect example. Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, Friday the Thirteenth, oh, Leprechaun, God. Halloween, um, hey, Leprechaun's perfect. Fuck Leprechaun off. in space, it is the best. No, actually, four uh, is Leprechaun the only movie I haven't in seen. In the hood, and then back to the hood. Yeah, they went to the hood twice, man. It's great. Five and six, <laughs> perfect movies. Um, but it can also kind of save a franchise. I think Annabelle and Ouija. The first of both those movies are awful and the sequels are actually really good. Ouija <laughs> 2 Origin of Evil, I've talked about on the podcast before. It's a really great movie. Annabelle Creation is a really great movie and the first Ouija is terrible. The first Annabelle is awful and they even have good actors like Alfred Woodward. Um, so horror and the audience, because this is kind of a horror's relationship with the audience. I think one of the known facts with these cycles, teenagers are always at the front and are young people. Yeah make up the bulk of this audience, the 18 to 25s who it's like, a, it's horror. It's this, it's this edginess thing. I think good movies, good audiences can make a horror movie and they can also break it. We've oh, yeah. talked about it. Uh, paranormal activity. I saw paranormal activity three. It was the first one I watched. Wait, no three. Was that the one in the seventies? I, I, th- I think no I watched idea. two first then. So paranormal activity two, I saw in, uh, in the cinemas. Paranormal with, activity uh, two is the security footage. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So two was the first one I watched, and I saw that in a packed cinema, and that was one of the most fun movies I had seen in a long time. See, Paranormal Activity one I saw with a packed cinema, but it was all terrible children who would. The girls in front Ugh. of me were talk with just they went there because oh, it's scary me, and they were jumping at every little thing, and then the guys behind me were like the mature, like the the ones who are only like a couple of years old. And they're like, "Shut the fuck up! It's not that fucking scary." Oh, so God. it ruined what would have been a really great movie for me. 
Um, well, that being said, I think watching them alone, things like Hereditary. Yeah. Oh, God. Fun. The, the amount of t- – because uh, because my wife doesn't like horror, I usually have to watch it when she's out of the house or something or when she's asleep. So I'm usually watching them alone. Ooh, See, I watched times. The Exorcist alone on a stormy dark night – did nothing for me. I was, that's what part of this point. I watched in perfect circumstances. Yeah. Just didn't play. Wait, are we saying the best audience for horror films is not an audience? Oh, well, that's how I saw Hereditary. It scared the crap out of me. It depends. It depends. It has to be a good, willing audience to sit down and shut up and enjoy the mood. True. Which is very, very rare, especially when you're getting stuff like The Witch and Hereditary, which people are, my audience for The Witch wasn't great. They weren't terrible, but they weren't Mm. great. They were kind of talking. I shushed him. I don't think we could watch um things. Like, I don't think I could watch things like uh, oh, what's that she one we kept on to Truth or Dare or something innocent yeah. because I feel like that audience would be annoying. Yeah. I watched The Conjuring with a great audience. Conjuring two. I really want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with an audience. I think oh, yeah. that would really change the concept of that. Um, with uh uh horror is a much more tangible dance with the audience. I think mm. it's kind of like comedy. People often say comedy and horror are such close genres because. You can tell if you're not doing a good horror. You can tell if you're not doing comedy. People aren't laughing in the comedy. And it's not about being scared and screams in a horror, especially yeah. something like Hereditary or The Witch. But you can tell if it's working or if it's not working as opposed to a drama where you don't really know. Yeah. Um, are they crying? Are they I crying can't tell. Not, but do they need to cry? You know, uh, horror is slightly different if you're going for a lack of jump scares, but it, it's an interesting thing. Horror is a very... It's a, it's one of the more tangible things, and I think that's why it's kind of a such a prevalent genre, even though people kind of aren't willing to admit it. Um, what's the future of horror? What do you think is the future of horror? Oh fuck, I've got no idea. I, I can never guess. I could never guess when Saw was happening that we'd be watching Hereditary in ten years' time. Yeah, this I, is oh, true. Fourteen years' time. I think though you can kind of see cycles, and I think we're maybe at the end of the the heavy franchise stuff with the exception yeah. of the conjuring thing, which is almost a cinematic universe rather yeah. than a franchise in that it's more Marvel than it is, um, uh, uh, mission impossible. Yeah. Um, and I think something like a quiet place, I being such a huge success, I think we're going to see a lot of standalone, standalone cool. original stuff, which I'm so keen for. We, seriously need an injection of that mm. because it was such a hit. People are like, oh, ori- did you see the studio that's like, oh, we're going to focus on original ideas because they're good. I'm like, no <laughs> shit. Well, we haven't been up. saying that for years or anything. Um, which I think is, I think I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful. And I'm hopeful for like that original thing and like the hereditary, the formerly ambitious things to meet in the middle and we get something really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm down for whatever Jordan Peele does next. He's got, it's called Us is the new one. It's got Lupita Nyong'o in it and it's a horror thriller. But I'm just down. I'm down. I'm down for more original stuff. I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful as opposed to something like the superhero genre where I'm mm. not less than hopeful. Yeah. Very hopeful. So we'll do our top five now. Yeah, cool. I've got top five horror films made after 2005. Um, I probably should have said 2004 because that's when Saw came out. But oh, See, I specifically didn't put Saw in there because I was like, damn it, it came out 2004. Yeah. And Saw 2, okay, no, no not Saw 2. two. Um, <laughs> so I'll go first. I've got my honourable mentions. I've got uh, The Conjuring, obviously. I think those movies are really fun, really well made. And then I've basically got the entire filmography of Mike Flanagan. Okay, yeah. Um, Ouija Origin of Evil, Hush, Oculus, Before I Wake, Gerald's Game, um, Find Before I Wake is on Netflix, Find It and Watch His Stuff. Everything he does is pretty exceptional. I'm not like I didn't love his first film, but he made that on such limitations. I can't 
fault him for it because I've made a film with low budget limitations and it's hard. Um, although Doug Jones cameo, Doug Jones kind of works with Mike Flanagan a lot. Oh, he does. Um, he appears in his first one. I'm well, I'm sure. in. He plays a lot of monsters and creatures you, and things. You've got me sold. You know yeah. how I feel about um, Doug Jones. I've got The Witch, which I love. Yep. I love Lights Out, which I think is kind of that classic. Cool. I still haven't watched Lights Out. I, I've it's seen good. the original. I've got it on Blu-ray now. I can oh, brilliant! Give, I can lend you my Blu-ray. Um, I've got an Iranian film called Under the Shadow which is a really good example of classic horror things dealing with thematically strong ideas and mm. it's female leads. It's a, it's on Netflix. I believe they bill it as a Netflix original now. Under the Shadow, Iranian horror film, some really great formal decisions, really great world, really great characters. And the mythology, they're, they're delving into like the jinn in um, Middle Eastern mythology. It's really strong, thematically strong horror movie. The visual effects aren't great, but they it looked like they had a budget and they worked with it as best they could. Uh, the babysitter. Yep. Um, oh, I didn't think to add that. That's now in my honorable that. mentions. Um, and I've got hereditarian. It follows. I, as my honorable mentions, I think they'll be higher up, but I need to be a little, have a little more distance to see where they sit with me for it. Fair enough. I yeah. do love hereditary a lot. I just loaded it there. And then, cause I wanted some stuff in the, my top five that aren't typically there. <laughs> so my number five is a movie called the skeleton key, 2005. Yep. Brilliant brilliant underwatched underrated movie most people haven't seen it because they're like oh kate hudson in a horror movie she does exceptionally well it's dealing with a really great mythology with hoodoo with um new orleans culture it's brilliant brilliant movie more people need to watch it it's such a good movie cannot recommend it enough the skeleton key it's really great um i got get out Yep. I think Get Out is going to – it's like a Mad Max of horror movies. It's going to shape so much of what we see coming forward. Uh, Cabin in the Woods is my number three. Cool. Great movie. So good. And it's such a meta commentary whilst also playing Also into, actually working as a horror yeah. – and, and it's a and lot almost, like Scream in that sense. And almost – it's almost Lovecraftian too. Yeah. Almost, which I think is really kind of cool uh, and definitely like Scream. Um, I've got – number two is The Mist. I think there's one of the most nihilistic, mm-hmm. hard-hitting horrors. When was that? 2006, 2007, yeah. during the Bush presidency. I know that much because it's about Bush. Okay. Um, and I love Frank Darabont as director. I think Marsha Gay Harden as a crazy religious woman is just, I mean, it's it's very anxiety-inducing, but it's phenomenal, phenomenal movie with just one of the best endings you could ever ask for in a movie. And then my number one is Drag Me to Hell. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Okay, So great. much fun. I just love that movie. And it works both as a horror movie and as a comedy movie For if you're a fan of horror movies. Yep. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I feel like... And the sound it, design on that movie is so good. Even though I prefer Evil Dead, I feel like Drag Me to Hell is the epitome of Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah it's it, peak Sam it, Raimi. Peak Sam Raimi. Um, all right, I, I have Josh's top five here which i prized out of his cold dead hands when we found his body um so his honorable mentions use gloves though right we don't want to be oh definitely and then i burnt the gloves yeah yeah uh so i've got uh in his honorable mentions we have red eye let's just judge him for all these ones here see i I would say red Red eye is a thriller thriller. yeah red eye is a thriller you are wrong uh he's got raw I like yeah. that, yeah, absolutely. Fuck, why didn't I put that on my list? Raw's in my honourable mentions, I believe. I've got to go back and look. Uh, he's got Drag Me to Hell in his honourable mentions. Uh, Fright Night, completely agree the there. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. The, the, the original was not made in two, past 2005. Yeah, this is true. true. Um, have, have you seen either or all? 
I've seen the remake. Cool. Yeah. I love the remake. I love the remake, and it's great. Isn't it because just, isn't it just Rear Window, but vampire? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah well, when you put it like that, Disturbia. Um, uh, yeah. Oh God. Um. Uh, he's got the invitation. Is that with um? That's Karen uh, Kusama's movie. It's yeah. an interesting. I don't know if I call it a horror movie, but it does play as a horror movie to me. It's like a weird drama thriller thing. Okay. I liked it a lot. I think it does have Who's its flaws. Uh, pretty much no one you oh, know. Okay. It's a very relatively unknown cast. It's a good movie though. It's a very awesome. good movie, and it's a strong, strongly directed movie. I just yeah. didn't love the script that no, much. Fair but enough. It's on Netflix and definitely worth watching. Okay. Cool. And Chanel might be able to handle it a bit more because it's a lot less horror, or scary, supernatural. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, to me, it's more of a thriller. But okay, cool. Um, then he's got Wreck because he hasn't seen it. He's sure it would be higher on the list. Oh, yep. uh, the Descent. Which everyone, I, I own that on Blu-ray and I have yet to watch it. Everyone tells me it's amazing. It, yeah, it's quite Neil Marshall quite who directed cool. a lot of. Game of Thrones episodes. Uh, he's got VHS one and two, which is an anthology yeah. series. Um, I just don't like it because one of the movies is called VHS Viral, and that's not how VHSs work. Uh, they do not go viral. Uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yep. Um, you're next. Don't know that one. You guys. Uh, I liked it. I think it, it lost the plot towards the end, but that's um, what's his name? He's Mike. I think he's like the less impressive version of Mike Flanagan. I just cannot remember his name right now. Uh, he's an interesting director. He did the remake of Blair Witch, which I okay. didn't love, but he yeah. did. Uh, Your Next is really good. And then there's another movie he did that I really, really liked. Um, oh, the, uh, the, the Guest. Okay. Which is a really great blend of a horror, drama, 80s thing. It has oh. a brilliant score. And Dan, the guy who plays the Beast Slash from Legion, he's the lead in it. Really good. The Guest is really, really, really good. Cool. Um, he's got It Follows. Great yes. movie. Hereditary. Um, Hush. Yep. Oh, Hush is another a Mike Flanagan movie. Okay, that, cool. That's like all of his film. Hush is brilliant. Awesome. It is kind of more of a thriller, but it's it very much into the slasher home invasion movie. Brilliant movie. Brilliant. Mike Flanagan has pretty much not done a bad movie, and now he's doing The Haunting on Hill House, and I think uh, he's going to do the thing. Oh. And then he's also doing – I think he's already made that, and that's getting ready to be done, and now he's doing Doctor Sleep. Oh, so he's, well, he's got, doing Doctor yeah, Sleep. Yeah, so he did Gerald's Game, and Gerald's Game was such a hit, yep. such, a, such a true to the book of yeah. Stephen King that then he got Doctor Sleep. So he's doing the sequel to The Shining. The Shining was like, so much nothing like the book. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, he's got The Witch. Uh, yep, Conjuring One and Two. Yeah, cool. He's got It. Get Out. Before I Wake. Another Mike Flanagan movie, cool. and that's like a horror drama. It's it's one of the, it's a truly beautiful horror movie. Very good. Uh, Train to Busan. Which have you seen that? Yes, yet? Yeah. I love that, that movie because I loved the zombie genre for so long, and I think after Shaun of the Dead, the, the zombie genre just kind of died. And fucking World War Z is the fucking Land. worst. Zombie Land doesn't count. Zombie Land's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Other than Zombie Land, yeah, uh, Cooties was probably the best zombie film I'd seen up until Train of Busan. Uh, and it's a comedy. Uh, and then his number one honorable mention is The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Very, have you seen this yet? I have it's not seen it. Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah, It's really, really atmospheric, really great performances. They, they do some really cool builds to scares mm-hmm. um, and a great mythology to it. I really like it. Cool. Top five. Uh, some of these are really obvious coming from Josh. Uh, Trick or Treat. Love it. Cool. Love yep. it. Oh, that's an anthology, but they're related. It's yeah. Really clever. Um, Insidious. 
yep, I love number one. I absolutely hated number two. And number three was like, all right. And then number four was kind of cool. There are four? There are four of them. Insidious, the last key is number four. Oh, okay. um, I think Insidious 4 is the best after Insidious 1. Cool. Um, Insidious 2 just has some lines in there like, you be nice girls need to learn to be good. I just cacked myself in the cinema and pissed off the audience I was with. Is Insidious the one written by that? Uh... Lee Winnell and James Wan. And James oh, okay, Wan it's directed. Lee Winnell and James Wan. Okay, because I knew James Wan was the director. Okay, cool. Um, number three is Creep. Yeah. Not yep, Creep yep. 2, though. He hasn't got tr- Creep 2 even on his honorable mentions. Okay. This is very unlike Josh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Number two is like the right one in. Still haven't seen it. Is that the American one or the original? Uh, The American one is Let Me In. Let Me In. Okay, cool. Let Me In is still very good. Uh, Yeah, I've heard. I knew that one's called Let Me In, Let the Right, and the other one's called Let the Right One In. I just couldn't remember. He says the director is Thomas Alfredson, and I don't know. Oh yeah, uh, 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 Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh shit! I did not know he did Let the Right One In. Okay, and then the Snowman. Cool. Uh, which... Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, right on. Uh, and his number one is already mentioned by you, Gerald's Game, Mike Flanagan. His number one is Ge- Ooh, yeah. that has a scene in it that is genuinely, genuinely freaked the fuck out. Is it that freaked the... me out. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Because um, I've heard about not that. The iconic on. end scene. That's just very intense. Mm. There is just a shot, and it's so disturbing because it's done without any ceremony. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the shot, the first shot of the mother in Hereditary. Okay, yeah. With the, the, the ghost of the mother, but it's no. in, and it, 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 Gerald's game does it better. Cool. And it's oh, okay. so un- it made my my mum got f- so physically uncomfortable watching them. I got I got like the 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 the, the scared feeling in my stomach. My mum got physically uncomfortable Ooh. on that shot. It really scared her. And we were watching it in the middle of the fucking day. It's cool. very well done. Very well done. Oh man. Now I can't watch it. Don't cause... watch it with Chanel, but watch it's really good. I have to watch it in bed while she's yeah. asleep. Cool. Yeah. Um so my my honorable mentions, uh I only consider these honorable mentions because I would not consider them horror, but I see how some would. So things like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which is a horror comedy, great film. Don't know if I'd consider it a horror because it is more comedy. Same with The Final Girls, which I believe I've spoken about on the podcast. Really great deconstruction of 80s horror films, but I would never call it scary. It is very much a fun thing. I had um, uh, Cabin in the Woods in there as well, although I completely agree. It, It works as a horror. And it yeah. works as a horror and it deconstructs it as well, which makes it really good, like Scream. Uh, um, I had some more, but they're thrillers, so fuck them. Top five. Uh, my number five is the Evil Dead remake. It's Still haven't seen it. I'm still worried, but I need to watch. Should I watch all the other Evil Deads before I then go to? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I almost say that it's unrelated, even though end credits include uh, Bruce Campbell. Um no, I I don't think you need to. Uh, I've it, only seen Evil Dead one, and it was a while ago. Cool. It's pretty much one and two in one so, movie, yeah, but serious. Um, but serious. Um, even though it gets very bloody at the end. Um, my number four is Hereditary. Uh, yep. Uh, I'd probably be higher, but like I said, just watched yeah. it. It is a phenomenal. I need to have time to film. let it settle to decide. Absolutely. Uh, my number three is Drag Me to Hell. Love it. Peak Sam Raimi. I mean, and have you seen the deconstruction about how Drag Me to Hell is actually about an eating Bulimia? disorder? Yeah. And, oh, okay, eating and disorder, I, yeah. I was like, oh, I call bullshit. And I tried to tell other people once. So I was like, I call bullshit. And every time I tell someone about it, like, I call bullshit. You watch the movie. It's there. All the horror happens around the kitchen. There's the yep. fisting in the, in the mouth. mouth. 
There's but the flying the in the mouth. Has stuff to yeah, do with it's an oral fix. It's a, uh, I read an essay about it. It's an oral fixation with the movie. And even the opening shot where she like looks at all the cakes in the window and she stops herself from eating the cake. I'm like, that saw me. I'm like, that doesn't suit a horror movie. That doesn't suit that. It's about bulimia. It's so yeah. good and uh, so strong. Because you pointed it out to me, I think the f- uh, right after the first time I watched. No, not after the first time I watched it. Right before I watched it again, and I watched it right after you said it, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, yeah. And um, the vomiting of the bugs. And yeah, all of that. Yeah. Uh, my number two is it follows. I yes. I look at it as the perfect remake of Halloween. Because everything about it is so much like the original Halloween, but I think it's done better. Kind of like The Witch to Hereditary, and it's supernatural. So it's like- I've told you about my sequel I want to do. Yeah, you've told me about the sequel, yeah. yeah. Um, And my number one is Christmas 2008. Me with three friends getting any movie from the DVD store, we got Teeth. (sighs) I haven't seen it yet. Oh, man, I've got it on DVD. I'll lend it to you. It I is on Netflix fantastic. Too. Oh, is it? Yeah, well, fuck it. it. Don't borrow my DVD. It is super fun. It's the reason I don't have sex. That and, you know, it's fucking But mainly because of teeth. It's a choice. <laughs> Vaginas are scary. Um, and it kind of like the movie ends very camp. Uh, and there are quite a few camp moments in it. Uh, the doctor with his hand in a vagina screaming vagina dentata vagina dentata <laughs> it is insanely fun and it is a great horror film i advise anyone who doesn't think vaginas are scary to watch it and if you do think vaginas are scary but isn't it a deconstruction would... on the panic about vaginas yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it is oh god just teeth, man. That's your number teeth. one? That's my number one. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, that's a really good place. To end. And if you haven't seen any of these movies, check them out because they're really good. And a lot of Mike Flanagan stuff is on Netflix, um, like Hush, Gerald's Game. <laughs> has this just Young. become the Mike Flanagan podcast? Probably has. Probably has. He's a brilliant, brilliant director. Um, if, and if you uh, like this podcast, tell people about it. Send it out. We need. We want more subscribers. Yeah, we, we want, want more. Challenge. We want to beat everyone else. We want to beat everyone else on this network or at least beat the other movie podcasts and we're about half the viewership there god so damn it let's let's get on that people share it around um and if uh you can find us on instagram and twitter at picture rangers and email us at motionpicturerangers at hotmail.com if you have some thoughts on horror movies you want us to talk about a certain franchise during because we'll have at least four episodes <laughs> and we've only decided on three so if you want to decide our last one send us an email and you decide what we'll talk about that's your challenge. Um, you know what is a great horror movie? Horror influenced movie. Red yep. Curtain Hell. Red Curtain Hell. Boom. Yes. Perfect. Available Flawless. on demand. I made a movie. I, I referenced um, Carrie. Yeah. Big time. I referenced a lot of horror movies towards the end of the, the movie mm. there. So that's available on demand on VimeoOnDemand.com slash Red Curtain Hell. Use the code Picture Rangers to get 20% off your rental or purchase. That's why I struggled so much like defining its genre on the podcast because yeah. I was like, it's it's influenced by so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if you, uh, and, uh, if you want to follow me, find me on Twitter. I'm starting to tweet more and trying to be witty at Shane M underscore Anderson. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Chancester. And you can find this and many other great podcasts at that's not canonproductions.com. They have some really cool ones. Watch the, listen to the true crime one and hear about Josh's murder. Um, as we spoiler alert, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. It definitely, definitely wasn't us um and uh, they have another movie one they have a musical one 
uh, fan fiction, all sorts of stuff. Really <laughs> great to check out. So uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week. Bye. Hi there, my name's Jessica Kate. And I'm Ellen Rose. And we're the hosts of Murder in the Land of Oz, a new Australian true crime podcast. Yes, we're starting off in Brisbane, our hometown, because relatable. Relatable. We're going to be coming to you every second Monday. So give us a listen, give us a like. And a subscribe. Come and join us on our journey where we explore the depths of true crime Australia. Oh, yeah. Refresh your career with Griffith College. Choose from a range of over 100 part-time, online and blended courses to flexibly build your future. Dublin, Cork, Limerick. Visit griffith.ie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>